are rolling here with Miss Thelma Houston. Yes. Oh my goodness, Hi. Thelma. I'm so glad you got to do our show. Oh, I'm so glad you invited me. Well, Thank you, know, you. I I met you through Sam, our friend Sammy McKinney. That's right. Who has introduced so many people. He was one of those people who was a connector. He connected people. And you know those people. Yeah, of course. Where they just put put the, did he this, this bag is I, I brought I brought this today. This beautiful uh-huh. Uh, bag, it's a, a gourd. It's, it's a made gourd. out of a gourd. Uh-huh. And Sammy uh, introduced me to this, and kind of. I think Sammy got. Sammy got this. Yes. Me. So I bought him today to be Aww. here. Yes. It's a handbag made yes, out of a it's gourd. It's a handbag. Yeah. It's yeah. Beautiful. And I remember yeah. the woman who made those. I can't remember her name. It's uh, the the. It's called the name of the company is called Cre. Um, uh, uh, what does that say? I can't. Nobody see has that. relative really? art. Relative art. Relative art. Uh-huh. And it's, that says 05. Because uh-huh. I met Sammy in 95 right here. We're on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood right now. I met him down the street at, at Tower Records. I was in Tower Records, uh-huh. and he came over to me and said, "You're RuPaul, huh?" I mm-hmm. said, "Yeah." And I said, "He said, so and so. I'm a friend of Patty's. I'm a, a Sammy McKinney." I said. Right when I met Sam, when I met Patty Labelle, she said, "Do you know my friend Sammy McKinney?" Mm. And I put two and two together, and we were friends ever ever since. Yeah, yes, he's a he's wondering. He, he, like you said, he's connected so so many people, many people. Yeah, Sammy passed away in '08. Yeah. And I think of him all the time. All you the reference time. him a yeah. lot. I do. Yeah, I do. There's some same thing because there's something that'll happen and something that'll remind me or something that I'll say. I, and you still, uh, you know, because he gets, he gets it. He got everything. He yeah. got all the jokes. He got all the, you know, and he was up on, on up on everything. The latest books, the latest uh-huh. this, the latest that styles, but everything. Aww. What do you think that element is that so many people could connect to one person? Because I, first of all, you know, by the way, I don't like anybody. <laughs> yes, you I'm do. gonna attest to that. <laughs> yes, you no, do. no. But what is the element that allows people to feel safe like that? Because you know we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. How is it that so many people would be attra- attracted to him, and that he could tolerate so many people? I don't know what that what that attraction was, gift. but. It is a gift, yeah. and he was amazing. And he would, if he said, like the lady, what's the lady with the the cat lady? Oh, uh, Jocelyn Wildenstein. Uh huh. And he said, "Oh, she's so fabulous. Uh-huh. I love her. I'm yes. Going to be. And he did, and he would he would meet her. Yes. And he met her, and they became friends. <laughs> everyone, I love everyone. everyone that he meets. You know, everyone he, he set his sights on, he would become, and they would. He was a powerful manifester as well. He was that. And and to, and and it was not just it was all across the board. Yes. We he through Sammy I mean Sammy was very good friends with Buster Rhymes. Oh. We used to we were we were downtown at a Buster Rhymes video thing. Uh-huh. And and Sammy he says, Oh Sammy, come on. And we went to the I mean, we went to the to we went to the concert that night at the House of Blues and You're Sammy just me. all up in there. <laughs> yeah. That's so special. Yes. He was a special and they, guy. And he, they lo- he loved Sammy. Yeah. They loved, How did I mean, you meet Sammy? Well, I met Sammy when Sammy was doing hair. Uh huh. And Sammy was and was doing hair at my good friend. Uh, his name was Clifford Peterson. Clifford Peterson was a very. Um, he was the kind of person that you would say he was born to do hair. Uh-huh. I mean, he was. And he was from Long Beach. That's where I'm from. Long Beach. Mm-hmm. And so he and I grew up. 
Clifford Peterson and I. And so when he, uh, later on in life, he got a salon, and Sammy was one of the people working in there, and he was a very good hairstylist. Mm -hmm. But he was also... Um, a songwriter. I mean, he was also writing songs and he was also singing at that yes. time. Yeah. And so I would go and support Sammy. He would do shows down at the um, um, at the um, Maverick Flats? No, not Maverick Flats. At the Studio 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 One downstairs. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Was that, that little room down there? Right. Here and, in Hollywood. Yes, uh-huh. And so I would go down there and then Sammy, he pretty soon, he. I mean, he kept with the writing and he kept and, you know, he started getting his songs out to people, and that became, then he became, he stopped doing the hair, only for those that he really, really wanted to, sure, like yeah. Patty and so forth. Uh-huh. And then, but then he became a very successful songwriter, writing hits for Anita Baker. Um, yeah, he wrote Just Because just for because Anita Baker. Just Because for Anita Baker. Did he? Yeah. Wow. And, and, and a, lot of, a lot of other songs. Yeah, what wow. was that one he did for uh, Nancy Wilson? Was it Hello Again, or what was that? I think it was, I think, I'm trying to... Yeah, yeah it was one of those. Some classic yeah. voices. Yeah, class. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. Wow. Brilliant. Yeah. It's just, it's a fascinating story. And a story. lot of people want to write with him. Sure. Yeah, yeah. so he was... Like people just wanted to be with him, yeah, well, right? He was, which is an amazing <laughs> energy. To have. No, it is. Person, it is yeah. amazing because you know, you know, you know. I could tolerate anybody for a little bit, right. but more than a couple of hours, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know. And he was the kind of person people would ingratiate him into their homes, where he would be cooking food. Oh yeah, and oh, I love. That. Oh yeah, inviting oh, him on the yachts. Yeah, yes, yes. yes, and he was good. Was the, um, uh, Denise Rich. Denise Rich. They were best friends. Yeah, Denise Rich was the wife of. Did I meet him at Denise Rich's? Have I ever I, met? You probably have. I feel like I, I'm in sure the past 25 have. years, I must have. Yeah, because he was in New York at Denise's, and Denise Rich was the ex-wife of the financier, Mark Rich, who had uh, been pardoned, been pardoned by, by, uh, by Clinton, Clinton yeah. on his last day, yeah. but mm-hmm. he had taken a lot of money out of the country. He's no longer with us, uh, Mark Rich, and uh, like 800 million dollars something like that <laughs> got in a little bit of trouble uh, yeah. For it. yeah so they said if he if, if his ass stepped foot in america they would go arrest him <laughs> right but um and i think in the divorce settlement i believe that um denise got 80 million because wasn't dollars. she a songwriter yes. too she's a songwriter, she a songwriter. Yeah. yeah she is a songwriter she's still around so she's still, um, yeah but she's still writing but you know her yeah. family had money before Mark Rich well money always finds money yeah mm. you know what I mean right now um, uh, it, so we could talk about Sammy forever I'm going to talk about you but, got this show coming up on August 27th at the Ford Theater here in Los Angeles which is just across the freeway from the Hollywood Bowl right and what tell me about the show well the show it's a 90 90- minute show and it's called my motown <laughs> continue with the motown story uh-huh. <laughs> my motown memories and more uh-huh and and i'll tell you how how that came about it came about in my show and my my i call it my regular show uh-huh. not the not the my motown memories uh-huh. i do um a medley and it's an eight-minute medley of motown hits uh-huh. the reason i started doing that was probably back in like the 70s I was going before Don't Leave Me This Way uh-huh. before I had a hit the greatest mm-hmm. disco song of all time hey! of all time we're gonna talk all about right that. now that's it girl <laughs> of all time and he'll, he'll back me up I've been saying this for how many years yes you have yeah. it's, she yes. says that is her favorite disco song of all, of all time, time. Well, yep. of all. and there's some great ones out there's there there's some great ones number one Thank you so much. You are very welcome. <laughs> Deservedly so. Right, carry on. Okay, so <clears throat> there, there was a uh, um, 
his name was Gil Askin. Gil oh, Askey yeah. was the music director for lots of the Motown acts sure. when they would go out on the road. You know, he would do their charts and stuff. And and Gil was a he was he was a great guy. Um, and he would see me, you know, kind of I would work so hard. Yeah, doing the you know for these you know being the opening act for somebody. Mm, People sure. are walking in on your show because you, you were signed to Motown. To when did you sign to Motown? I signed to Motown in 1972, uh-huh. 72 or 73. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and you were there and you had didn't have a hit until many years later. T- till, well, till 77, 76, uh-huh. 77. And they kept you on all that time. Yeah, they did. Wow. They were, deve- that's when they developed acts. It was a different story. I mean, it was a different time. Then. Yeah. And I mean, Suzanne DePass was the hit. She's the person that signed me to mm-hmm. the label. And she was the head of artists and repertoire, mm-hmm. you know, A&R. That's when they had them. I don't even know. Uh, I don't think they exist I don't anymore. think they have They're, Well, you know what they, they do have them, but they are freelance. They are not under contract to companies. So a company will hire a freelance A&R person. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Hmm. She was responsible for discovering Michael Jackson and the Jackson I was going to say, Five. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, she's... So, so um, anyway, Gil said, I'm going to come up with something that's going to... You know, it's gonna be. A, you put that in a million show, and you're gonna have people up, uh, and it and it worked uh-huh. because we did everything: the Temptations, the Four Tops, and you know all of these, uh-huh. the Supremes, and everybody for eight minutes of Motown. That's a lot. Yeah. Little sp- little splashes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they go, wow. Let's say so. Over the years, people have said. You know, I like that Motown stuff. Yeah. Why don't you? Do, are you going to do any more of that yeah. in your show? Singing, meaning singing more Motown songs sure. that were done by other artists. Yeah. And I, you know, it didn't strike me as something that I would really want to do mm-hmm. uh, because there's so many other, you know, people are doing that. Sure. Right. Yeah. So I tried to think, how could I do that? And what? And you know, how I came up with it is like the idea is, you know, in your life there are certain. Uh, uh, events that mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. and there was a certain song that was a hit or something at that time and and when you hear that song it will you'll recall yes. nostalgia that, yeah. right yeah. okay so I so I started thinking about that and and it kind of it came out to be you know my you know for instance my my opening song, I'll just tell you this. My opening song is Shop Around. Mm-hmm. That was came out in 1961. Mm-hmm. 1960. Okay. 1960 <laughs> brought back memories of me of Mr. Pup's taco, uh, hamburger stand. Oh, yeah. And the reason I brought it to Mr. T- Mr. Pup's hamburger stand is I remember sitting in the car with my boyfriend, who later became my husband, and getting sick. Morning sickness, all that because I was pregnant. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So that okay. memory came back. That yes. memory came back, right? So then, sixty-one, when my daughter was born, uh, please, Mister Postman, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And uh, when I when, when I was carrying her, yeah. When she heat wave, she was born. Uh-huh. Dancing in the street, my son was born. Uh-huh. So these are how these Benchmarks parts of my life are connected to yes. your life. And yeah. then uh, there are other songs that I do. In, in the show of like I I toured with the Four Tops I toured with the Temptations I did Carnegie Hall with Smokey Robinson mm. Stevie Wonder produced me in the in the in the things I have a story so these are how they're connected right. so you said that your Motown memories is that what you said my Motown memories That's and great. more great. and the more part yeah. is 
my I did and I had my very first album was an album called Sun Shower mm-hmm. that was um, written and produced by Jimmy Webb, and it was critically acclaimed. It was critically acclaimed album, mm-hmm. but it didn't do well commercially. Right. But a lot of people know about that album. Yes, oh, so, I know of yeah. it. Yeah, so we talk about that and that story and how that came. And then we, you know, then it gets to Don't Leave Me This Way, which is the end. Yeah. Now, um, we're going to take a break in a minute, but uh, now this, the, the Jimmy Webb album, were those all songs that he had other people cover before you? Were there originals on the Jimmy Webb album? There was some originals on it, mm-hmm. but Didn't We had been had been recorded by Richard Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, Pocket Full of Keys, was he wanted that to be done by Frank Sinatra, but he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, this Is Your Life uh, was also going to be, I think, a Frank Sinatra song, uh, but he didn't. But then um, uh, This Is Where I Came In, was uh was already recorded had been recorded the by fifth someone. dimension no this is where i came in this is where i came in was no it was a group they they may have done it but uh-huh. it was a group um called i can't think of the name of them but it was jimmy's girlfriend was in this group i see uh-huh. yeah a girl's a girl group so there was um sunshine and then was there a what other album came after because you they paired you with uh jerry butler yeah, that was that came before? Uh, um, was that before your big number one hit, or oh, was it? Yeah. It was. It was before. It was before. Because did you do two albums with Jimmy Jerry Butler? Well, what happened? I did. We they did release two two al- two mm-hmm. albums, but the first album was the one that he and I liked, and and we agreed. You know, we really wanted that one, mm-hmm. and the second album was released of material that we had passed on. I see. Really you recorded it, and then it didn't make it onto the first album. As far as we were concerned. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You but can... somebody went back there, and they saw fit to release it. Because <laughs> <laughs> after Don't Leave Me This Way, you had um, uh, Saturday Night, Sunday Morning. Was mm. that on RCA, or was it on Motown? No, that was on Motown. It was on Motown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Thelma Houston here. No relation to Whitney Houston. Everybody asks that. Or Sissy Houston. Yeah. But we're going to take a break. Uh, everybody asks that. Do they, they still do? People People have come up to me. This one, Let me just tell you this one story. I was in um, Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. And uh, this at a, at a... I forget the function. But anyway, this man came up to me and he was very... Um, sincere and very and he put his arm around me <laughs> and he pulled me to him you know he put his arm around my shoulder mm-hmm. and he pulled me and he held me really close and he said I just want you to know I'm praying for you and your daughter <laughs> and at that minute oh my god because the way he said it and he was so <laughs> sincere and I didn't want to block no blessing <laughs> I said thank you so <laughs> You're not gonna hurt nobody. Right. Not gonna hurt right. nobody. Well, she do have a daughter. She do a daughter. Yeah. Right. And her last name is Houston. But, but, but you know what? I tell you, are we on a break now? Yeah, we can talk. Okay. Because um, I, you know, I was touring with Dion Warwick, and so Dion invited me to go from where we were to the hotel. Mm-hmm. I think it was the Crown. Mm-hmm. It was a new, you know, anyway, she was performing there. She said, let's go. Will you go with me to see Whitney? Mm-hmm. And I said, of course. So we went over to see Whitney, and uh, who was very sweet, very nice. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was the three of us. We were just sitting, sitting in the, one of the uh, restaurants having coffee. And uh, they were k- getting, you know, caught up with each other, mm-hmm. you know, because they're 
relatives mm. and stuff. So Whitney, uh, at one point, she turned to me. She says, "Do people uh, come up to you and ask you if we're re- if if you if you're related to me?" Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't, I said, now, Thelma, when you get up in that thing with Dion, don't be, get up in Whitney's face. <laughs> hey, we need you this, baby. You know, just don't even bring that up. Yeah. So I, so when she brought it up, I said, yes, yes, they do. They do. <laughs> she said, and what do you tell them? I said, well, I tell them, no, that we're not. I, I, you know, I explain. She says, girl. Just say yes, uh. because they're not going to leave you alone. Just because then they're going to say, but aren't you? And that's true. Yeah. Because they try to make you. Yeah. Sure. They, they, they want they, it they to be They want true. that to be. Yeah. 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 I love We're it. Because yeah. once removed. It's a good story. It is a good Because it was so sweet. I yeah. love it. Yeah. We've got Thelma Houston. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. You know, Michelle, I grew up reading Interview Magazine. That's how I found out about Andy Warhol and that I wanted to move to New York and become a, you know, change my name, become a superstar, all that kind of stuff. I love, I lived for magazines. Now there's a way to see all those, your favorite magazines in one place on your phone or on your app. It's called Texture.com. Yeah, it's a Texture app, actually, Rue, and it's gone beyond delivering the magazines itself. They've made it easy to find and enjoy the articles you want to read with daily recommendations, which I love, exclusive interactive features, videos and more and here's the thing texture makes magazines easy and there's so many great ones out there like you said interview magazine has been your favorite since she was just a little rupaul yes ma'am and they have my favorite popular mechanics oh my god i knew that about you of course you did you and, and low oh you, you're low such rider a, yeah you're amazing michelle all that stuff well listen i love vogue i love all the pop culture stuff and yeah. texture is the one-stop shopping for all the magazines like over 200 magazines at your fingertips tips you know we travel and who wants to carry all those magazines with you you have them on your texture app and not only that kiddo but they also have it's searchable yeah. which you know you have to go through pages and regular it's like what you have to rip out all the stupid perfume ads and gut the magazine but now you could search it you can mark what you like you could check out back issues because everybody likes a back issue oh, yes bonus bonus video content they even have uh they can curate articles and magazines just for you or whoever you're giving texture to this year now it's normally 9.99 a month and you get over 200 magazines which that in itself is huge yeah but if you sign up right now at texture.com slash rue get a 14 day free trial 14 days for free. That's brilliant. I love it. Listen, educate yourself. Learn what's going on in the world. Unfortunately, they don't have Lowrider magazine, but I they know. do have Motor Trends and Popular uh, Mechanics, like yes, I said. Yes, they're all there. They have Boys Life. It's brilliant. Teen Vogue, Seventeen. All your favorite magazines are right here. Yes, and it's so easy to get you guys right now. Texture is offering our listeners a fourteen-day free trial when you go to texture.com/ru. That's fourteen days to try Texture for free. So check out texture.com/ru. That's texture.com slash rue. We are back with Thelma Houston. Don't leave me this way. Now, uh, Thelma, there is a rumor that the song, the the actual, uh, the, the tape, that you recorded had Diana Ross's name on the acetate or something. Was Don't Leave Me This Way meant for Diana Ross and she passed on it? Well, I don't know about that, but, but this is what I I was told because I was not there when they this, when they cut the track. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know how I missed it because I had, you know... It, Okay, to answer your story, to answer your thing on this on the at the same 
when they cut the rhythm track for Don't Leave Me This Way, they also cut Love Hangover. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's yeah. another one of my favorite songs. Yeah, oh, yeah. Produced by the same people? Produced by the same Hal Davis. Uh-huh. So they were cut at the same night. And this, you know, mm-hmm. and so, so that maybe, so it could have been that it was gonna be going to her, mm-hmm. or it was gonna be, you know, I, I don't, you know, how those things, are. and that's why I was gonna say that I learned at a very early time, very soon, by just sitting around and you know listening, mm-hmm. <laughs> that someone could go into a producer if 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 they felt they meaning the creative department or whoever was the, the, that picks the songs that's going to come out right. right. If they felt that a particular song was something that was going to be good for a particular artist, mm-hmm. and if that person, whatever that person was, they, they maybe they had not even been in the studio before, mm-hmm. but if they thought they had a good song, they would let them go in the studio with whoever it was, yeah. that artist, because they believed in that song. Mm. So... I learned <laughs> very early on who was booking the the sessions uh-huh. and became we became friends. Okay, and they would let me know if my name was somebody was in because they would say, "Listen, I want to go in and cut blah 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 on Thelma Houston." Yeah, so I would go and to make sure that it was in my key. Uh huh. Uh huh. So smart. Yeah. And so, um, so who was the person who said, Thelma, I think this song is for you? Suzanne DePass. Uh-huh. Suzanne found the song. It was, a, it was a, on the Harold, Harold Melvin. Melvin and the Blue Notes yep. album. Mm-hmm. And she called me and said, listen, I want you to listen to this song. It's called Don't Leave Me This Way. It's on Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes album. And tell me what you think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, Anything that Teddy Pendergrass sings. Oh, uh, I loved it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, of course, I liked it. And she said, yeah. okay, well, because I think we think, you know, that can be a hit. No, um, it could be done well. For you. It could be sure. a really good dance Was it, Is it Gamble and Huff? Did they write it? Gamble and Huff wrote it, mm-hmm. which is another thing that's very, Motown, they don't, you know, they don't cut other other, other people's yeah. Right. stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. So, um, the that being a first of all being recorded and being released and getting promotion and none of that was mm-hmm. very very rare right right because uh because so um how did it how did it how did they uh roll it out did it come out as a single first or did was there an album attached to it well it came out as a single first and uh, this is also in the this is in the show. I'll just I'll tell you this. Well, it came out as as a single. I had been recording tons and tons and tons. How many albums at that I, at that point had I recorded at Motown? Oh, albums! I had done like maybe one. Mm, Sunshine. No, the well, but that was on ABC Dunhill. Oh, okay. And Motown bought it. Ah. Uh-huh, but that was ABC Dunhill. Uh-huh. But the first one was Thelma Houston, mm-hmm. which was an album, you know, that was the first one. And then the second one was um, Don't Leave, you know, um, Any Way You Like It, which yeah. was the Don't Leave Me This right. Way. And then the others came after that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But anyway, I, we recorded it, and um, uh, Barry didn't think it was a hit. So they weren't going to release it. The version that we know today, that's the one he didn't think the was a hit. The version that you know today. Was a, so how did they and, push it through? Well, Suzanne just, you know, she felt, believed in it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, this is when um, when uh, the DJ pool, DJs were becoming very powerful mm-hmm. uh, in the clubs. And they could make a record 
happen mm-hmm. uh, just as fast as the radio. Sure. And so we that that connection was available to us mm-hmm. to go that way first. And that's that's what happened. And I think that and the fact that it was in that movie, Make, looking good, for Mr. Good, yes. Bar, yeah, and those things and the placement, the time is, you know. It's and so is it the same production team who did um, Saturday Night Sunday Morning? Yes, mm-hmm. Hal Davis. Who just he didn't he just pass away a few years ago? It's only a few years ago. He yeah, did. yeah. It's just so fun. It's interesting how all of those greats, all these stories, Deke Richards, and all mm-hmm, of these people mm-hmm. who were associated with Motown, uh, was uh, you know they they've all moved, moved on. on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Hal Davis was really instrumental, especially in the seventies Motown. You yes, know? and with the Jackson Five. Yeah, with the you know and Diana Ross. The it's a name that always comes up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. always uh-huh. comes yeah. up. Yeah, and so uh, years later you. Have had another huge hit with um, uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis on RCA. Yeah, yes. How did that happen? On MCA. It was it MCA? Oh, on MCA. Because RCA was just one record, wasn't it? Yeah. You, you had one RCA. record on yeah. RCA. Uh-huh. But I can't remember chronologically, was that after MCA mm-hmm. or before? RCA was before MCA. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the MCA was Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And uh, that was under when, while Jerry Bus- Gerald Busby. Uh huh. Who was at Motown before? No, he wasn't in Motown. He was. I'm um, trying to think what label was he was, but he wasn't. He, he eventually did go to Motown. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to remember where he came. He came from um, another label. Uh. To to MCA. Yeah. Um. And so he was very involved. Involved, you know, and he put me with the Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and and we did have a hit. Um, you used to uh, used hold, to hold me, me so, so tight, tight. and I, and Gerald was in the video and oh Gerald Busby's Gerald in the Busby video was in my video. It was a very interesting video where they took three songs and put them in one and made like a little mini yes a little mini movie thing yeah and the so the, the it was over the Christmas holidays I believe it was went to number five really great R and B. And well, so, it was the peak of the Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them. I mean, they were on fire at this yes, time. Yes, this is before Jam. What year was this? Oh, this is before Jam. Yeah, it's uh-huh. like this 85. was 84. 84? Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. This was, yeah, from the, because this, this is when the, the year that they had the Olympics here. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, hold one second. Um, we're going to stop tape for a minute. We Our next guest is here, um, so-and-so. I can't even remember people. Nigel name. or Alex? Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, I guess she's at the gate. So... If what? Well, no. I just want to stop tape for a minute, so we can I, click her in. Let me cl- let me tell her that she that she is um, mm-hmm. um coming down. Let's see. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've done a million shows with you. I did radio for years at a station yeah. called WKTU, and we had you at all of our events, and you were always so amazing, so good, so wonderful. Okay, well, we're Thank um you. we're back, um, Mister. I, uh, I, whose name I can't ever remember after three York? years. Yeah, those big shows. Yeah. I love our disco shows. Yes. Okay, um, you ready? You ready? Okay, uh, right. So what, what, what was it? Uh, was it uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis at mm-hmm. the peak of their, uh, one of the peaks of mm-hmm. their career. Mm-hmm. This is pre-Janet. Yes. Yeah, this is pre-Janet. <laughs> and how many, how, how long were you at MCA? I was at MCA, well, this was what I was going to say. <laughs> So we had this big, you know, record, and 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 I got called in. Gerald wanted to have dinner, and we were having dinner, and I thought we were talking about the next single release, and it was my dismissal. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yes. After such a big hit? After such a big hit. 
What did they... So disappointed. That was, I mean, I was just, I had never, that was the first time I'd ever been like really kicked up. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, right. So you chose to leave Motown. Yes, that was a, ch- a choice. And then the RCA thing was, we, 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 you know, it was a mutual, it was not working, da da da. That was Richard Perry? Yes, Richard Perry, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. But MCA, according to you. But, and- but that was later with Richard Perry, with Warner, reprise. Oh, okay. Oh, the RCA was not with. Who did you do RCA with? RCA was with. Um, was there. Did you have a hit over there? No. Uh. No. Didn't have a hit at, at RCA. Yeah. And and it was a weird. I, I tell you, it, it was a weird place because. Uh, I was, you know, R and B, so you, so you, you have to be represented by the R and B department, sure, right? And the people in the R and B department didn't get disco, and didn't, you know, it was hard for them to see that I'm, you know, I'm, well, I'm, that's not all I do, sure. but whatever. So they would, they would just not really participate, right. and stuff, right? And it, you know, that's that's frustrating. I guess it's going to be in the book, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but that was almost a fist fight in one of the. One of my like my 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 manager was Sandy Gallon. Really? Oh, yes. wow. I had no idea. Yeah, Sandy Gallon. Yeah, Sandy Gallon, Dolly Parton, The Pointers, uh, Whoopi yeah. Goldberg. Dolly Parton came. Dolly Parton came in a limousine to pick me up, to take me up to Sandy, so we could have a, a discussion. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so she says, you know, this is who you know. I like Sandy and blah mm-hmm. blah, and she was telling me. On the way up in the in the car, all the way up to him, and telling me things. About How long were you represented by Sandy, Sandy Gallen? Uh, about um, maybe three, four. Yeah. Years, so like when that. you left Motown, though, did they did, did they try to fight for you because you had put out another album after the uh, Any Way You Want It? Mm-hmm. You put out another album after that, mm-hmm, the one that had done the roller, yeah, with the, that Saturday Night Sunday, Sunday yes. morning on it. Yes, mm-hmm. and then after that one. You said, I want to leave? Well, I had been on the label for a very long time. Sure. And I, well, one of the things that was a deciding deciding factor for me was, one of the things, is that I always, I, I, after, I mean, I, I went in, like, you know, come mm-hmm. home, do this, nothing, and, and every, and, but I had been, Said as a matter of fact, my manager that at the time before I signed him was name was Mark Gordon, mm-hmm. who was the manager of the Fifth Dimension, mm-hmm. and um, he did not want me to go to Motown. Mm-hmm. But then he had kind of stopped really being a manager. He was getting so big. And yeah, he had his own record label and stuff. So you you know when you don't around a person, you know you have to feel that confident that they're not sure. just telling you something just right. You know because. Yeah. So um, he was pulling away and stuff. So anyway, when I went to Motown, he felt that he could no longer represent me. Mm-hmm. So I was without really management mm-hmm. uh, because you can't manage and be in the, you know you can't mm-hmm. have management and so I was kind of like kind of out there. Yeah. And um, so one incident that happened. First of all, I was recording and it was never good, never right. Da, 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 da. So I recorded. Um, Do you know where you're going? Mm-hmm. Which is the which was the theme for Mahogany. Mahogany. Yeah. And um, I didn't, I, I recorded first, Michael Master had written it. Michael Master and Jerry Goffin had written it and I was the first person. And it was on a project that Michael was doing for me. And um, we thought it was good. It was, it was, was it very, Bingo Long, the Traveling All-Stars? 
that movie? Because you sang the theme to the movie, yeah, the, yeah. Bingo the, Long, and the. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't from that. That was a he. There was a song that he wrote that was similar to that that mm-hmm. they listened to, and was called Piano Man. Yes. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Right. But they heard that, and that was, and then Bingo Long was kind of, they would kind of listen to that, and. I see. Uh-huh. Yeah. But anyway, so I felt, well, you know, you know, and, and it was just, it had been like, but now it's like five years or more of that. Sure. And I just couldn't do it. Right. right. So you felt like you were being <clears throat> overlooked for in loop, for other stars. Other, yeah. yeah. And I felt that no matter what I did or no matter how much, you know, whatever, that's what it was going to be. And, and mm-hmm. maybe, uh, you know. Who knows, right or wrong decision. But at the time, that's what I felt was the best sure. thing for me to do. Yeah. And I never had a big hit like Don't Leave Me This Way. Well, that is a After massive that. hit. But, but that's, you know, that's once in a lifetime that yeah. it's yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 And you to got a fair. Grammy for that. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Deservedly so. Yes. It's amazing. And <laughs> I actually I just saw you perform just a few months ago. And your voice is just as strong and just as powerful. And I'm sure uh, the, at the show, which is on... August 27th, 27th at the Ford Theater. I know you can be found at ThelmaHouston.com. Yes. ThelmaHouston.com. I have all my information. You know, I'm not a social. <laughs> so I had to get it written, written down in big letters. Yes. But I'm, apparently I'm, you know, Twitter... I, uh, Twitter. Yeah, I've been tweeting. I've been tweeting out the information oh, on I've the heard. show. Yes, yes. Yes. And they, and, um, so it's, um, these things here. And they've just redone the Ford Theater. Michelle, have you ever been to the Ford Theater? I don't it's know. It's, have I? It's, on, it's in the Coenga Pass. It's on the other side of the freeway from the Hollywood Bowl. From the Hollywood Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. Did I, mu- I mean, and I must have... they just spent $71 million Oh, my to, goodness. To so they got big it. plans for it, obviously. Yeah. 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 And it's beautiful. They have... It was all beautiful, but they have really improved it uh, a lot. This is... The things. Okay, can so you, can you read it? Yeah, I, I yeah. Now to purchase tickets, you can go to uh, Thelma uh, Thelma's Ford Theater show. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, you you can get tickets at uh, Thelma Houston uh, slash tickets dot com, and uh, you know, obviously uh, Thelma Houston underscore Thelma underscore Houston is the Twitter handle. And all of this is, is available um, at uh, ThelmaHouston.com. It's very perfect. easy. Yeah. Very simple. Just go to your website. Yeah, it's perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming by. I can't wait to see this show. I it's going to be exciting. It's all outdoors. Yes, and it's, it's a nice. beautiful wow. theater. And they want to encourage you if you want to bring, you know, it's kind of like a little mini uh, Hollywood Bowl. If you right. want to bring a picnic lunch. Oh, my goodness. Oh, how or fun. you can do that. And it's it's beautiful it's really beautiful i love it i love yeah. it yeah well i will be there well thank you I so much i had wait. such a good time my pleasure such a good time you know michelle this blue apron thing is amazing to me the fact that they send fresh food yeah. straight to your home and allow you to become the the chef that you were born to be yeah I mean, it's incredible. It's, you should have your own cooking show. Well, I don't know about that. Don't yeah. get crazy. Because yeah. at the end of the day, I am not a cook. And I am a mother of two teenage girls who are hungry. Uh-huh. And before they get hangry, <laughs> mama got to learn how to cook. So they are not going to eat my vegan delights. Uh-huh. So I have to make food for them. My youngest daughter, Lola, is a carnivore. Oh, really? I told you if I could attach her mouth to a cow, uh-huh. she'd be so happy. <laughs> She's a girl after my own heart. There you go. So Lola <laughs> lives for Blue Apron, especially we just had one of the meals that we had was the beef lo mein. So it came mm-hmm. with the noodles. So here's, here oh, before I get. really good. I know. And before I get into the uh, recipe, this is what happens. It gets delivered to your house. 
in a box. Mm-hmm. Everything just comes in a box. Yeah, I love it. Gets delivered. It could sit out there because it's on ice. Yeah. And the meat is separated from the produce, so mm-hmm. nothing gets soggy or leaks or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Comes with the uh, non, like the biodegradable, not bad sure. for the environment ice yeah. packs. Mm-hmm. And then you go home, you put everything in your fridge, and then you, you can choose whether you're feeding two people, four people, how many meals you want a week. Yeah. All the ingredients are there. All you have to do is follow the recipe card. Everything's doled out like... You need two tablespoons of oil. Oh, I see. Oil. It's measured out. Tell me yes. this. How long does it take on average for you to make each meal? Like how long did it take you to make, do the, the, the beef lo mein? That was a quick one. There's some that are 30 minutes and under, and mm-hmm. there's some that take a little bit longer. Like if I order steaks for her or pork chops, it's going to take a little longer to cook the right, meat. Right, of course. But since this was ground beef, it takes what? Eight to 10 minutes? Okay. And the noodles the noodles just get plopped in. It's not, even when it's pasta, it's not long at all. Are the, the recipes easy to follow? Super easy to follow. Like I said, everything is measured out for you and it's less than ten dollars a meal blue apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-proportioned ingredients guys that changes the game mm-hmm. the only thing you might have to do is cut stuff up mm-hmm. who cares i could do that exactly anybody could do that and i've learned so much about cooking and the thing is with the recipes i keep the cards that the kids love ah. so if i ever want to make it myself i go out and buy the ingredients sure, yeah. and remake it it's amazing some of the upcoming meals are like basil pesto chicken with summer vegetable panzanella Ooh, girl sauteed shrimp and green beans with globe tomato spinach and orzo pasta did you say shrimp i said shrimp it's so easy you guys check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping this big old box come to your house free shipping (laughs) plus it's delicious check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash rue that's blueapron.com slash ru blue apron a better way to cook we are here with Frida Payne, girl. It's a long, long time in the make. You were dro- you drove over here, right? You ran. We're in Los Angeles, obviously. Now you, you're from Detroit. I'm from Detroit. So you must have gotten your driver's license when you were 16. I did. 16. I got, I the day 16. you turned 16. Well, let me let me think back now. I started practicing driving when I while I was still 15, mm-hmm. and then when I got my license, I was 16. And because I always wonder this about from people from Detroit, which is motor, the Motor City, where all the cars come from, uh, you know what uh, you know what their car experiences are. Do you what was the first what was the first car you owned? It was a Ford, and I I believe it was a Galaxy, and uh-huh. I, it was white and like a coral, kind of like a coral, like a pastel, like, like an a orange, like orange, not orange, but kind of like a somewhere between. Orange and pink, I call it coral. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 It was a Ford, and and the and there was no power steering. Oh dear. Oh, it was like rack and pinion. So it was like it was uh-huh. like it was uh-huh. like uh, <laughs> get the parking space. It was yeah. like uh, you get big uh, muscles. Yeah. Hey, yeah. but I was young, you know, sixteen, so you don't mind. And mm-hmm. I had that was that was a, a graduation gift, you know, high school graduation gift because I graduated from high school at sixteen. Did your um, folks work in the auto industry? Well, not my parents per se. Well, okay, my let's say uh, pater- my dad, my paternal dad, Frederick Payne, he worked at Ford's. My mm-hmm. mother divorced him when I was only three and a half years old. Mm-hmm. So he worked at Ford's, and my grandfather worked at Ford's, and my uncle, my mother's brother, that is, they all everybody, all the men worked, you know, at and uh, you know the car industry mm-hmm. in the like Chevrolet, Ford, or where whatever. However, when my mother remarried, when I was six, her husband, who was my step, who became my stepfather, 
he actually, I think he worked at the Detroit News for a short period of time, mm -hmm. and then he became a deputy sheriff for the Wayne County. So he was a policeman for a while okay. until my he and my mother pooled their money together and they bought a bar. And so they bought a bar back as far back. It was in the fit, like around 53. I was like about 13 or 14 when they mm. bought the bar. Mm -hmm. And um, it was called the Collingwood Bar. Collingwood. And this is in the neighborhood you grew up in? in, in it is it was, near Cass Technical High? No, Cass, here's the deal about Cass. When I graduated, well, when I graduated from middle school, it was a school called Hutchins. And we lived, at that time, we lived on a street called Atkinson, Atkinson between 12th and Woodrow Wilson. Mm -hmm. I would have had to get up an hour earlier to go to Cass, to walk down, to get the bus, mm -hmm. wait on the bus. Like I would get up in the morning and I would look out of my bathroom window and I would see, the, let's say there were a couple of kids that went to Cass on my block. Mm -hmm. And I would look out of my window and, and it would be kind of like just still almost dusk, you yeah. know? And they'd be walking down the street, going to the bus to stop, the and bus. I'd just be getting up like, oh, well, yeah. I wanted to go to I, Because I that was the way everybody to wanted to go there. I know that Lily Tomlin went there, and Diana Ross went there, uh -huh. and uh, that was the magnet school that all the kids wanted to go to? Well, that was the smart kids, the ones who really had, you know, were ambitious, I guess. I, I qualified. I had the average. Mm -hmm. But I just did But Central was was within walking distance like it was only like about four blocks away you right. know, so you could sleep in sleep so in i could sleep <laughs> yeah. in you know sleep in and even at that i was always running late you know yeah i'd be i'd have a mouthful of cereal you know i'd be like <laughs> i'd be like my cream of wheat i'd be like <laughs> out the door <laughs> yeah no, i i for all of us who who have followed the detroit story especially for you know that golden era of detroit it, we just always imagine that there are all famous people in your high school i mean were there other famous people in your school at central well there were uh oh another thing about another thought i'd like to add about in tribute to cast tech which i i wish if i could go back and do it again i think i would have made myself go mm. they had a better music department ah. uh, and that's my thing uh -huh. now had i gone to cast i would have probably learned more and i would have felt more secure about going on to juilliard mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying yeah right so uh, that's all I have. That's my confession. Mm -hmm. But uh, as far as fame, let's see. There was Brian Holland, who came, was a part he of went the Holland to... Dozier and Holland. Yes. we had classes together. Huh? And um, he and went to Central High. He went to Central for. We had, I think, you know, yeah, for a couple. We had a, a couple of classes together. Wow. Lamont Dozier. Uh huh. Uh, he didn't go to Central. But we went, to, we were in middle school together mm -hmm. and all like three years, we were in the same, in the same class for three years, you know. What do you think school. it was? It, it was, I, I saw a documentary about uh, funk bands on PBS uh, a couple of years ago and they talked about all these funk bands that had come out of Ohio and they explained that these people, these young people, their parents had moved to Ohio for the jobs and it was the first time that their children could have a garage. So all of these kids had garages, so they started bands. Mm -hmm. So that's why you had the Ohio Players and 
Lakeside, and it just, the list goes on and on, uh, you know, for these funk bands who'd come out of Ohio. What do you think was that element that made Detroit the music cap, the American music capital that it was? Oh, my goodness. Well, I have a feel. Well, my, my theory is that uh, in Detroit, a lot of the African-American people who were involved in music, the kids, I call them the kids because their parents usually weren't. You know, my parents weren't involved in music. Mm. And uh, and usually it's the kids that, you know, my peers who were got involved in music. And I think it had a lot to do with, let's go back to the parents. They usually migrated from the South, mm -hmm. you see? Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about the 40s. Mm -hmm. And uh, they migrated from the South. So you got people from Georgia, from Mississippi, okay mm -hmm. that mary wilson mm -hmm. Thelma houston mm -hmm. all right uh you, you got people my dad was born in Asheville, north carolina great mm -hmm. city mm -hmm. yeah alabama my mother was born in birmingham alabama wow. Wow. so all the people these these people migrated from the south they came to detroit because of why detroit had it was booming it was it was a motor city Mm -hmm. Detroit, more, more, more people. Some people forget that Detroit had a reputation for being the motor, motor capital of of the world, really, mm -hmm. because that's where you had General Motors, mm -hmm. Ford Motor Company, Chevrolet, Dodge, Cadillac. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, uh, there were the jobs. That's job. That's where the money was. Right. So these people, these people migrated to Detroit because there was work. Mm -hmm. And like I said before in the beginning. Uh, and you asked me about that. I said, yeah, all the, all, just about all the men in my immediate family, my uncles, mm -hmm. grandfather, my dad, you know, they all worked in, uh, you know, in, in the car industry, in Ford, Ford Motor Company, Chevrolet, Dodge, or whatever. Sure. And yeah. that's what happened. So when those jobs started to disappear and General Motors started to like lay people off and then they started moving the moving factories to other places outside of Detroit that's when Detroit went down mm -hmm. right because there was no more there were no more look you know lucrative when did that or start happening? lucrative jobs I think 1970 because Motown left they started leaving a Detroit in 1968 to come around to Hollywood there yeah <clears throat> it was around there 68 69 yeah around there when did you leave Detroit I left, well, literally, well, I have to say, I, I hate to say left, but, you know, I'm, I went to New York when I was 18, mm -hmm. and that might have been, what year would that be, Ooh, about like 61, mm -hmm. and uh, I went to New York, and I, and I, but of course I was going back and forth, you know, I was sure. visiting, but I was literally living in New York. And I uh, didn't have a car in New York because I, you didn't I need was one. afraid to drive in New York. Right, right. You know, but uh, in New York, it was like taxis and subway. You yeah, know, subways sure. and taxis, and that was it. You know, you know, and I and some of my friends who did have a car, it was such a carol. It was like it was kind of like uh, always trying to find the right parking spot. Mm -hmm. They always sure. had to be aware where they parked. And then my best friend, who became who was also my one of my roommates. I remember she had a car for a while and her car got stolen. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so it was like, I'm not going to get a car in New York. Mm -hmm. So you you moved to New York, but, and of course, around that time, you were hearing the news that Barry Gordy and Motown was taking off. I mean, I think uh, uh, 
got a job came was an, a big hit for get smoking. A job. Get a job. Is that 1960 or 58? Get a job. Yeah, because that was the first big hit that Motown had, I believe. That wasn't. Did Smokey write it? I don't yeah, think he sang it. He yeah, didn't. Sing. Or is it Mickey Stevenson who wrote? I think that? it might have been Mickey Steven. Got a job. I can call right now. That's somebody. You know, <laughs> I, I can got, Google while y'all yeah, are talking. Well, that. But so, but you were hearing that 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 but was I think, happening, <clears throat> and, and while you were in New York, Mary Wells. Okay, let's go way back. Mary, Mary Wells, Wells. My guy was 1960. My guy. Okay. Or was it 62? It was around there because Mary. And let me tell you what the real deal. I was Barry Gordy Jr.'s first female protege before he even established Motown. Wow. I was the one that he wanted. I was the one that he wanted to manage, and record, groom and... and groom because he saw, and this is something that I would have to say, um, I was shocked that he said this out of his own mouth. And this was in Vegas. I was doing Sophisticated Ladies mm -hmm. with Paula Kelly mm -hmm. and... Um, the 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 Rick Hines, uh, right. Maurice Hines. No, not Maurice. No, this this was the uh, the um, Fayard and Harold Nick, the Nicholas brothers. Yes, I was yes, doing, yes, the Nicholas It was brothers. Harold Nicholas. It was I was starring along with Paula Kelly and Harold Nicholas mm. at the Desert Inn. We were there for eight months. Wow. Barry came to see the show, and he came. Of course, he came because basically he wanted to see the show and he wanted to see me. You mm -hmm. know, he frequently he still to this day comes to my shows. Wow. You know, on occasions, he, they came after the show. They came backstage, and uh, he was in Paula Kelly's dressing room, and we were all sitting around. And Paula was, you know, said because there was like a little bar in, in her dressing room, mm -hmm. and Paula said, "Barry, um, how in the world? How do you know Frida?" He said, how do I know Frida? She was my first female protege. <laughs> and and he said, she's the one that inspired me to see what I needed to do and where I wanted to go. Wow. wow. He so, said that. And I was like, I would never, if I had said it, it would have been like, you know, I would have heard about it or uh -huh. something. But he said it out of his mouth and he still says it to this day. Wow. He says that. And the thing is that when he first um, started coming to you know watch me, he would come to my dance classes. I was taking, I had studied ballet mm -hmm. for a couple of years, uh, and then I did a little bit of, in, in school we had modern dance classes, and then I was taking Afro-Cuban classes. And so he would come to my Afro-Cuban class and, and just stand there and watch me dance. And then he started right. he wrote three songs for me, and we went into the studio, which was called United Sound, which mm -hmm. is on West Grand Boulevard. And it's right down the street from where Hitsville is today. Mm -hmm. And United Sound was the major recording studio commercial where people recorded uh, commercials, sure. what have you. And uh, even at the age of 16, I did some commercials. I, I, I'm a member of AFTRA from 1959. Wow. 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 Yeah, and it says on the card. A member since 1959. Oh, does it? Yeah, I it have info on, on the card. song. What is it? So Get a Job was by the Silhouettes in 1957. And wow. it was written by Earl Beale, Raymond Edwards, Richard Lewis, and William Horton. But it was recorded at Robinson Recording Laboratories in Philly. Huh. Wow. Interesting. But, but, but it was a hit for Smokey Robinson well, and the Miracles. Well, it was redone. By them. By um, So Shanana did it and it, the debut recording by the Miracles. Oh, wow. So it was an answer song, okay. Get a Job, 
was res- oh, and an got answer a song. Job. Right. right. Got, got a, a job, job was the response by the Miracles to get a job. I see. So wait a minute. So Sha Na Na did it, a remake of it? So the revival group Sha Na Na derived their name from the song's doo-wop introduction. Get a Job inspired a number of answer songs, including Got a Job, which is the debut recording by the Miracles. That's the smoky connection. Yeah. Which was, I believe, the first big hit for, on Motown. Uh-huh. That's what I believe. Well, no, <clears throat> not got a job. I don't think so. That oh. was we got to go back to Mary Wells. Because is, is my guy 1962, Michelle? Do you I'm see looking that? it up right now. Yeah. Or but, and uh, then there was a, a another artist that started. So what happened was, please, Mr. Postman, first number one hit. Okay. For much. Uh, and what about money? By the Marvelettes. That was the Marvel. What, what about money? Barrett Strong. Barrett Strong. Another friend I, that I went to school with, Barrett Strong. Uh, but I, you, you were talking about your dance classes and Barry Gordy coming to watch you dance. Uh-huh. Isn't it kind of weird that there's a grown man creeping out there? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, don't answer. We're going to take a break, and I want you to answer when we come back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ZipRecruiter is a brilliant site that allows you, as an employer, to find the right employees. In fact, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. And there's a lot of creatives out there like us. Sure. And if you're thinking, how am I going to find somebody to fit in this mold for what I need? Mm-hmm. ZipRecruiter is the place for you to go because it's going to just narrow it down to exactly what you want. And that really saves time because the more time that passes that you don't have that employee, you're actually losing money. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you it finds them. So smart. In fact, over 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. That's barely any, if any, money lost. Yeah, yeah. In 24 hours. It's unbelievable. No juggling emails, no calls to your office, which are really annoying when you're trying to run a business. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. And easy is the keyword here. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, Rue, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, baby, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash you know what are you that's ziprecruiter.com slash rue one more time to try it for free go to ziprecruiter.com slash are you we are back with frida Payne, the legendary frida Payne. i have so many stories for you because i i'm always in, intrigued about the detroit story and how it happened why it happened you know what occurred in this um, this great American story to have so much talent come out of it. And you're saying that these are people from the South who grew up with gospel music, and yes, and this is the, yes. they got to get there, and yeah, it just they sort of migrated exploded. to Detroit because that's where the that's where the jobs were. Yeah. Right. You know, it was like, get a job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So now tell me this. Now, um, you you talked about the Barry Gordy story, and he wanted to use you as a protege. But what happened? Why did he not? Did you not want to do that? Oh, I wanted to do it. But keep in mind, I was a child. You know, Mm -hmm. I was a child. And I was... was, a good child at you know at that mm-hmm. time later on you know, yeah, I, I, I jumped, when I went to New York I, I jumped there <laughs> but uh, uh, what happened was um, he recorded three he wrote three songs for me mm-hmm. and we went to New York it was Barry my mother and a guy named George Kelly who owned a nightclub and Barry was getting he was helping Barry out as far as finances was concerned was it the twenty grand or the what, no there the, was no t- at that point. 
20 grand wasn't happening. Okay. This was George Kelly. He had a nightclub. It was just Ke- call it Ke- Kelly's mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, Barry didn't have money like we know him now. We think of Barry Gordy. Oh, yeah. he's mm-hmm. rich, you know. Yeah. He wasn't successful there. But he had written a couple of hit songs for Jackie Wilson. Right. You know, To Be Loved, I think, in another song. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, um, uh, oh, God, I can't believe. I just saw in Vegas uh, two weeks ago the Sol- the most- Solid Gold Review. They were doing the song with Jackie Wilson. Um, uh, it was, it'll come to Lonely me. Lonely Teardrops? Yes, Lonely Teardrops. So Barry had been writing these songs. He was he was hustling. You mm-hmm. know, he's a hustler. And so uh, we recorded the songs, and then we went. Uh, we went. We went to New York in George Kelly's white Cadillac. Ooh, mm-hmm. fancy! And it was my mother. Uh, George was driving. Barry was in the front seat, and my mother and I were sitting in the back. We drove mm-hmm. to New York, got there. Barry, we went right to the Apollo, and Barry wanted to say wanted to talk to Little Willie John. Mm-hmm. And so Little Willie John uh, came to the stage door. I remember it very vividly. And he had on like a smoking jacket. He was headlining. Mm-hmm. And they spoke. And then Barry went on to, for a meeting with uh, this guy at um, Roulette Records. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was this guy. Was it? Not John Levy. Morris. Uh, yeah, Morris Levy. Morris Levy. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. He was the president of Roulette. Yeah. So. After that, my mother and I, we they checked us into a hotel, and then the next day we left. He stayed in New York, stayed. yeah. And then when he got back to Detroit, he came over to the house, sat down in the living room with my mother, and they were talking business about he wanted to manage me, mm-hmm. and he said I can get the deal with the Roulette Records for Frida, mm-hmm. and I want to manage Frida. Now, I'm sitting in the hallway on the staircase listening, you know, because they, they didn't want my, you know, they didn't sure, want me yeah. sitting there. And I heard my mother going back, well, Barry, you want to manage my daughter. You want 25 percent. And what does the agent get? He said 10. She said, that's 35 percent. Now, Barry, who pays for my da- my daughter's gowns? He said, your daughter. Mm-hmm. Barry, uh, if she has to fly somewhere or, or fly in a plane to get to an engagement mm-hmm. or something like that, who pays for that? Mm-hmm. Your daughter. Mm-hmm. Who pays for the hotel? Your daughter. But Barry, what does that leave Frida? Mm-hmm. And he couldn't, basically, he couldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. She said, I don't think this will work. Mm-hmm. And that was the, that was it. So let's fast forward. Motown, you know, th- first he had Tamala, mm-hmm. and then it was Anna Records, you know, and then Tamala, and then Motown, okay? That started happening, and then the music started coming out, and it was good music. I mean, the um, the Miracle, Smokey. I first met I first met Smokey during that period, mm-hmm. you know, and all the Miracles, all the original Miracles, and, of course, Claudette. They knew, you know, and uh, they knew that Barry wanted me. He really mm-hmm. did. But for something about this man, he has to have it his way. Mm-hmm. There's no, he doesn't take no for an answer, and he has to have it. It's either his way or no way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So a few years went by. We're talking like, you know, this was like I'm 61. 1965, I was in Europe. I was in, I was in Europe, and I was playing a club in Manchester, England. A private, a private club. Bear, I, I happened to see in the paper that the Motown Review was coming to Manchester, and mm-hmm. then they were in Manchester. And so I called backstage, and I said, is Barry Gordy there? 
you know, because they had the miracles. They had um, Martha Reese, you know, mm-hmm. and they had the, the Supremes with mm-hmm. Diana, Mary, and Flo. Mm-hmm. And uh, little Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, what's that guy that uh, played the saxophone? Oh, Junior, Junior, Junior Walker. Walker, Junior mm-hmm. Walker. And so I'm saying, well, I wonder if Barry's with him. So he came to the phone. Huh. He said, Alfreda, you're here. I said, yeah, I'm at this club. He came to the club where I was working and caught my show. Wow. And he said, wow. He says, I'm impressed. You know, and then he invited me to see the review. I saw that review. Now, I'm not going to tell you some other stuff. Uh-huh. That's for the book. That's for the book. That's for the book. Uh-huh. But anyway, he said, when are you coming back to Detroit? I said, well, I should be, like, maybe in a two or three weeks from now. He said, when you get back, contact me. And even Smokey, when I, was back, when I went backstage, he said, yeah, you ought to be with us. You ought to be with us. Mm-hmm. So I get back to Detroit, and I contact him. And he sends, he has his lawyer, Ralph Seltzer, send a contract to the house, you know. And, and I look over the contract, and at that time we had a neighbor. His name was Alan Early Jr. He was a top criminal attorney in mm-hmm. Detroit, mm-hmm. and he was a good friend of my parents. They were friends, African-American. Mm-hmm. Alan Early Jr., he's not with us any longer. And Alan read the contract because Alan was always promoting me, and mm-hmm. you know. And he said, you know, this, we should change. there's some things that need to be changed here. You know, mm-hmm. just common sense. You sure. got to negotiate. You just can't just take something and just sign it. Yeah. So anyway, what happened was he got the contract back and he calls, and and my mother says, "says it's Barry." And he got on the. I was on the phone. He said, "Frida, nobody changes my contracts." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, you did it with the four tops." He said. But that's a different story. I have a good relation. I have a relationship with Levi. Mm-hmm. He says nobody changes my contracts. We can't do business. We can be friends, but we can't do business. And that was it. Wow. That was it. That was it. Wow. And it, you know, my attitude was, oh well, you know. Yeah. Move on. Because there was there was talk though that uh, he wanted you to replace Diana when she left the group at one point. Hmm. I never heard that. Uh, because your sister... You, you, I you, never heard that. Where'd you get that from? I No, you know, there's so many stories about... That's why it's always so interesting to me. There's so much so much urban legend and, and folklore surrounding the Motown story of, of, of Barry and, and the contracts and all that stuff. Yeah, and let me tell you another odd thing. This is, might just be tripping, but remember when the Supremes did their first national special with the temptations yes is it tcb tcb mm-hmm. and it was diana remember diana doing a a dance number and it was afro-cuban yes yes yeah and she's got the bathing suit thing so where on. did they get that from afro-cuban think about from. it <laughs> think about it well you know what you, goes around sh- comes around sure okay. yeah yeah so that's my story. No, it's it's an interesting thing. What's also interesting is that years later, when Holland Dozer Holland left Motown, they yeah. started their own label, Invictus, yeah, Invictus, right? And that and that's where they signed you. Yeah, they signed me and and uh, Eddie Holland, who was the president of Invictus. Um, Eddie said at one, I remember him saying to me, "This was privately," and he was saying, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try we're gonna we're gonna get some hits on you." He says. He says, because I know Barry wanted you. Barry wanted you bad. Mm-hmm. That's what he said to me. Yeah. And so where did he get that from? 
Yeah, that's why it's, it's such an and interesting... And I knew they had... I knew intuitively when I signed with them, I said, they're going to... They're going to get me a hit because they've got to. They've got something to prove. To prove. Yes, right. so they have an incentive. It's not just signing another artist and oh, let's see what happens. Throw it up against the wall, see what sticks. They had. It was more behind that. But they couldn't use their name because of the legal uh, story. They were being. They were suing Motown, and Motown countersued them back. Right. And it was a. It was a lot of intrigue, you know, going what year on. Are we and, talking? This is sixty nine. We, we're talking, yeah, six, I signed, and the year that I actually signed was 68, and then we started recording in 69. Mm-hmm. And there was like, you know, people parked outside spying, you know, uh, and stuff like it, that. Was it this in Detroit? This is in Detroit. Okay. So it, there, I, I was still really living in New York, but then I came back. And, you know, for re- recording. To get and, a job. Yes. To get myself a job. <laughs> right. you know? yeah. And it was so ironic. I said, now here I am. I left Detroit, went to New York. Uh, and now I, I I wind up coming back to my hometown to find success. Right, mm. right. Mm. So um, the song Band of Gold, which was a number one song, that was written by Holland Dozer Holland? Actually, yeah. It was. I remember the first in, uh, indication was I remember once, uh, this was years after it became a hit, and this was sometime in the 80s, and I remember Lamont Dozier uh, I was at his house because my sister Sherry, Sherry Payne, who, by, oh, by the way, became a Supreme yes. you know, in 1973, and uh, they were they they were dating at Sherry and Lamont were oh. an item. Uh-huh. You know, this is before he got married, you know. Uh-huh. But Sherry and Lamont had had a relationship for 10 years. Oh, And we I were at his that. house for, for barbecue because Lamont is a, fancies himself as a cook. Uh-huh. And he got, and he had a few, you uh-huh. know, a few libations. Sure. And he's sitting there and he says, Frida, who do you think wrote Band of Gold? Uh-huh. I said, Ron Dunbar and Edith Wade. He says, no, I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just like that. So. And because they couldn't use their name on there because no, how because long did that lawsuit go on with Holland Dozer Holland and Motown? It went on for years. Did they win? I think they had to. It was some kind of a settlement. They had yeah. to like it. Was, it was just settled, you right? Know? But I, I don't know that that Eddie Holland. He's he's always wanted to get in a lawsuit. He he likes to, <laughs> he's Scorpio. He likes to fight. Yeah, you know, wow. and be at war with somebody. I'm yeah, gonna, you know? yeah. It's so. it's such such an interesting story, and I don't know if there is one definitive story because there's so many players involved, so many groups and different factions oh, from the whole yeah. Motown story. We I've heard all of the stories, and then you sort of try to cross reference to come the, up with the definitive. All right, it's sort of like I have to use this phrase from Donald. Trump. It's sort of like, what's the fake news and what's the reality? Right. You know, what's the real deal? Right. You know? Somewhere in there, the truth is. Yeah, because I've read stuff about me on like Wikipedia, yeah. you know, biography, and I'm saying, that's not quite right. Yeah. They, it needs to be correct, you know, just little things, not huge things, but little things that where yeah. they misconstrue something, sure. yeah. you know, or they'll throw in something that should be corrected. Well, that's the good thing about Wikipedia. You can just go in and change it. Yeah, you can that's change it yourself. That's the problem. Anybody can change yeah. it. And your age. Yeah, now, yeah. <laughs> those, th- trust me, that they try to get, you have to get a citation oh, for that. Okay. For your age. So somebody put in the wrong age for me and I was like, I am not, that is not uh-huh. the year I was born. I had to uh-huh. fight it all the way to the top. Okay. Really? I was born in 1968 yeah. and they had me down to 66. I was like, mm. uh-huh. <laughs> Give me my two years back. Give me your two years back. (laughs) I want them back. Well, I know for a fact, let's see, I heard that Charo Charo had done it. 
yeah. changed her, you know, like uh, knocked off, I think, eight or nine or ten yeah, years. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. Cause I, My I, ex-husband did it. Uh, Greg, Gregory Abbott. Uh-huh. Ah, <laughs> right on. Well, if you can get away hey, with it. You didn't hear it from me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, okay, so now who wrote um, Bring the Boys Home? That was written by Greg Perry, who also produced The Honeycomb. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And oh, I love The Honeycomb. Too. Oh, yeah. And it was three writers. There was Greg Perry, Angelo Bond, mm-hmm. and General Johnson, who was the lead oh, yeah. singer of Chairman of the Board. Oh, I loved you. Because your sister... Was no, no, she, she wrote a song, Glass. Oh, Crumbs Off the Table. Crumbs Off the Table. Yeah, which was on Invictus, and Laura Lee had a hit. And with Laura that. Lee had the hit, but Sherry wrote it. And she, Sherry recorded it also. Because she was with a group, a group called uh, The Glass House. Glass House. The Glass House. They formed The Glass House because of Sherry. Uh huh. Yeah, because Barry, one day I was, this was in Detroit, and I was talking to Eddie Holland on the phone. And while we're talking, Sherry was. At, in the living room, playing the piano, playing one of her original tunes, and singing loud. Mm-hmm. And I think she knew what she was doing <laughs> and playing loud. And, and Eddie said, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Hold up! Who's that playing in the background and singing? That's my sister Sherry." Uh-huh. He said, "Let let me hit, listen for a minute." He said, "Tell her to come to the phone." Because <laughs> <laughs> didn't Holland does or Holland do the Touch album? Is that the Supremes Touch album? Is that all Holland does or Holland? Uh, I th- I know that's what Mary uses that Mary Wilson uses that in her signature at the end of a, a the touch a, she'll say touch uh-huh. Mary Wilson right yeah. right right yeah yeah well Frida um thank you so much for coming in to talk just now you we can find you I know you did a gig recently at the Catalina at a, here Catalina, yeah in, what a week ago yeah and then so uh is it FridaPain.com? FridaPain.com and I have been you know I've been I've moved more into jazz now yes you know although I haven't given up my R&B roots but I still my for, my real strength is like I do a lot of jazz and uh, I loved your show over at uh, Feinstein's or is it Carlisle which it was, one was no the first time you came to see me was with Darlene Love in New York, and it was Love and Pain. We did. Yes. We had oh, I love together. that. What was that venue? Was it that was Michael? That was Feinstein's. Yeah, Feinstein's. Yeah, mm-hmm. brilliant. At the, Reg- the, at the Regency. Yeah, on Park Avenue. I love it. And then it. you just saw me uh, at the at Vibrato. Vibrato last year. Yeah, I believe it was it last was fantastic. year. Vibrato. I've been doing tributes to Ella Fitzgerald. I'm go- I've been. I've done it in regional theater as an actress. Yes. You know, in costume and wigs and fat suit, the whole bit. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah I've done it twice and i'm doing it next year in wilmington delaware wilmington delaware uh, what's the venue the, it's called i think it's called the delaware theater uh-huh it's a 400 seater and i'm going to be doing it there next year with maurice hines oh wow ah. maurice is directing and choreographing and uh, maurice did the the Mer- maurice calls me he says frida you are the only one you're my first choice wow he says you were born to do ella quote I More love it. Time. That's quite I a compliment. It, it is yeah. a compliment. It is a compliment. Well, we'll be sure and check that out. Okay. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us. I love you, you clearing up the myth of the Supremes. Of, yeah. of, well, of all of that Motown stuff. It's just so amazing. It's a, yeah. a brilliant. Well, Motown to me deserves all the credit for what it, it has now because they actually changed R&B. They, they 
created R&B music yeah. to you know and made it what it is. And I'm so, not saying that they're the only ones. There was Philadelphia International. Sure. There was uh, Stax, yeah. you know, and all those other companies. Mm-hmm. But Motown was sort of like this. Let's say the bullet, the spearhead. They yeah. kind of like made paved the way for it all. Absolutely, and mm-hmm. I'm and I'm so happy to have experienced all of that. Oh, and just for just for the record. My latest CD, which I recorded about two years ago, is on a jazz label called Mac Avenue, and it's called Come Back to Me Love. And is it available on iTunes? It's available on iTunes, Amazon. Oh, yeah. Come Back it's to Me Love. Big Band. It was recorded here in L.A. at Capitol Records in Studio A. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. Frank Sinatra's yeah. studio? That's right. Oh, wow. That's right. Oh, love yeah. it. Well, thank you, Frida. Okay. Love you, baby. Love you, too, Rue. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get an amen? If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Amen.